Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I, of course, am your host, Rob Walling. In this week's episode, we take an inside look at MicroConf Remote, which was the event that we threw two weeks ago. And I bring producer Xander onto the show for the first time ever. He's a longtime listener of the show, of course, and he's been working on MicroConf since 2014, but he's been working full-time on it for about the last year. And Xander has a background in event production. He's been on the venue side. He's been involved in events for... I don't, it's like a decade. Like it's a pretty extensive uh, experience he's had running events and he does some pretty amazing things for us. If you've ever been to a microconf, we often get the question, how big is your staff for running this event? And he's always like, oh, it's just me and the founders. And people are like, whoa, because most events, you know, when we used to do starter and growth back to back and there are 450 people there over the course of five days, four and a half, five days, you just have a whole event staff doing things and 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 we really haven't and it, we really are that scrappy to continue to be kind of that scrappy bootstrapped microconf ethos event and producer sanders is a big part of why we're able to pull that off and so we have a great conversation about microconf remote it, it's a lot of inside baseball so you know if you don't care about it that's fine too um, we'll be back next tuesday morning at normal time but we talk about the event why we wanted to do it some of the challenges and things we consider we talk about what worked really well and some things that we would do differently next time so with that Let's dive into my conversation with producer Xander Castro. Xander Castro, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. First time. Yeah, indeed. So if you go to uh, startupsfortherestofus.com and you search for the phrase Xander, I believe you've been mentioned. I mean, you just keep scrolling and scrolling and there's a next page. And so it's, so you, <laughs> producer Xander, has been mentioned many times on the show, but uh, you have yet to be in a conversation here. For folks who don't know, they would have heard a little from your intro, but you've been working with us on MicroConf since 2014, if I recall. So quite a few events. Yeah. And then you came on full time just about a year ago. Well, it was just over a year ago. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Well, thank you. It was it was a fun anniversary, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So you've been you've been working with us full time on on microconf on the big expansion in 2020, and on your one year anniversary, we put on microconf remote, which is what we came to uh, talk about today. I did want to take a step back though and comment like 2020, we planned for seven in person events. We were going from three up to seven. And then we were going to go from zero remote events or virtual events to two. And really, we haven't done any in person events. No, no. 2020 has really dealt us the hand, but everybody has been dealt. Pretty much anybody that is producing live events right now is seeing a pretty rough year. Uh, there's a lot going on right now, and there's much more that isn't going on right now as a result of social distancing and quarantine and whatnot with COVID-19. Yeah, it feels like such an absolute dumpster fire in terms of trying to get people together. And I don't know about you, I kind of want to do over. Ugh, tell me about it. The live events industry is one that brings in like $6 billion a year annually just in the U.S. And so like you just imagine all of those different staff members that are not working right now. And it's just it's pretty devastating. There's there's it, it, it's a rough industry to be in. That's for sure at this point. Yeah. And so a lot of folks have turned to virtual events. And that, that's one thing that I, I kind of wanted to say right off the bat is like we planned over a year ago to do two virtual events this year, at least two, right? Because we, we did the State of Independent SaaS live stream back in January. 
And then we had decided, to, we had named it MicroConf Remote. Remember, we were trying to figure out a name, MicroConf Virtual, MicroConf Digital, MicroConf Online, and we just loved remote because the idea of remote work. And we announced all of this last December, but we had basically, I mean, literally over a year ago, had or just about a year ago, had said, we're going to do this thing. And so the fact that COVID happened really didn't change those plans, right? No, not for not for microcomp remote, that's for sure. I think we had always had this idea in mind that it was time to create a virtual implementation of what is microcomp to really create a more accessible event that anybody around the planet would be able to access as they were interested. And there weren't those barriers to entry, such as travel, kind of setting aside the three-day plan to get out to a destination to attend a live event. I think we always knew that creating something that was that was definitely more accessible to a mass audience was the route that we wanted to take with the remote version of microcom for sure. Yeah, and that, and we had been talking. I mean, you you Mike and I, I believe talked about it five four or five years ago about trying to do it back in Barcelona. Yeah, and so. It's been on our mind, but I know that A, it wasn't like the highest priority because if you can do in-person events, I mean, personally, I just, I think they're just, I don't know, better. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like in-person yeah. events because, I mean, as much as I, ha- you know, you have to travel, they're more expensive, they're all these things, but there's just a, a value there, I think, that is pretty much impossible to replicate online. So we had never prioritized it. But with this expansion, we did want to dip our toe in the water and get a little better at it. And so really, as I said, decided to do it last fall. And then I think we had talked for a while about not making it a replacement for a microconf, right? Because a live and in-person microconf is so unique and there's so much about the setup and the hallway track and this and that, that, that we weren't trying to replicate it. We're trying to do something a little different. And I think, I think that's a challenge, right? And I think, honestly, if it hadn't been for COVID, I think microconf remote would have been even more unique than it was because there wouldn't have been a bunch of other virtual events around it. But we were, in essence, competing with these other Zoom, I say Zoom events, but a lot of other online events. So we had to stand out that much more. Definitely. So as we were kind of going through the research phase of what it would look like to implement MicroConf Remote back in November, December of 2019, we had done a bunch of customer interviews that focused around what it meant to attend MicroConf and what were the things that were drawing you to our live events. And that in-person, person-to-person interaction was one of the high and above elements that people were seeking out when it came to attending MicroConf. And so I, I even as we were in the midst of planning MicroConf Remote, we spent a little bit of time talking about how it wasn't going to be a live version of MicroConf. We talked, I, I joked around saying that we should just brand it as not MicroConf because it, it was a unique way to look at what our attendees are constantly seeking, which is that person-to-person connection. It's an industry that few people that are kind of innocent bystanders or on the side looking inward don't really understand the mechanics of starting your own business, doing the daily grind at home, not really being able to get out. A lot of people, a lot of people are starting to understand that more these days, but I think that one of the things that we consistently try to achieve at our live events is that the connection that's formed in the hallway track and kind of trying to replicate that in a digital setting, as we'll talk about a little bit later, is, is a challenge. It's not the same type of experience you would see in a in a live experience when you're shaking hands with someone, which we should talk about. This is probably not going to be something that we're going to encourage during live events, even when we're able to get back together. But I think that trying to replicate that was was something that that took a lot of consideration and, and something that we were hoping we could we could emulate for sure. 
we weren't trying to replicate. We were trying to translate, you know, from in-person to online. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so like, just to give an overview, I mean, I, I know, and we sold just about almost 700 tickets. And so quite a few listeners will probably have, have bought tickets and may have, you know, attended or seen the, the video. But in essence, we decided to do a five hour live stream part, some parts of it were pre-recorded. We had some people pipe in with quick fixes that were two, three, five minutes. And then Sherry and I did a founders in cars, not getting coffee segment that had to be pre-recorded because they, we couldn't do live streaming from a car, but most of it was truly live. And whether it was, I interviewed a few people and then there were, we had four keynote talks, a lot of Q and A and live interaction, which again is one of the benefits of, of live streaming. And, you know, you, you kind of went all out. I mean, you flew in to Minneapolis and rented a studio where we had, I mean, if I recall, there were like three cameras on me at all times, which was fun, but also it's like, geez, I can't, I can't do, I can't even scratch my nose without having six angles of it. You are going to be taught every angle. Every (laughs) angle. And then were were there like seven people working on it? Six or seven person crew? Four behind the scenes. And then we had three that were up front helping with the filming and lighting and and teleprompting and things like that. Plus me. Yep. So that's eight people in just in the technical kind of production of it. And then, of course, I'm up on stage. And then Tracy was doing a bunch of kind of live customer support because when you have that many people attending, I mean, at our peak, I believe we had 570 attending the event. And that, that's just a lot of people doing stuff. So it was a real baller setup. I mean, it was not, we kept saying, hey, this is going to be a different event. This is not just a few speakers, you know, a host sitting in his bedroom in front of, you know, I'm, I'm in my bedroom office right now, for example, but we didn't just want that to be people in front of webcams. It gave that live feel to it because I was on different sets, right? I was on the Between Two Ferns set and I was on a kind of a talk show. We had like a talk show format and we had just a bunch of different creative elements to try to, we knew the content would be startup focused. It's a lot of, you know, similar to content we would have at a microconf or on this podcast, but with more live interactivity. But you really double down on like the creativity of the visual elements, right? To make the experience different for people. Yeah, the goal was to to really create something that would be considered bingeable, something that carries you from segment one to segment two to keynote speaker to the Q&A elements. We really wanted to, to keep things pretty tight in terms of the timeline of presenters. Nobody had more than 20 minutes to deliver their own individual element or talk. But we wanted to create that sense of forward momentum and that, that idea that you're going to sit down and you're going to take in five hours of essentially TV. How can we make it so that each element kind of leads into the next but is entertaining enough to, to really feel like it's worth spending that much time in? When it comes to digital events, you even with the 700 some tickets that we sold seeing that we had 575 ish folks that were on at peak that's a pretty significant number of people that are not engaging and so the idea is that you see anywhere from 50 to 60 percent fall off when people purchase tickets to when they actually attend the event when it comes to digital experiences and so we wanted to give everyone who chose to tune in a reason to stay versus just presenting the content the way that we we had set it up and then and distribute it we wanted to make sure that there were these engaging touch points and i will say we recorded almost everything in advance of the event as well just in case there was catastrophic failures across some of the technology so that we had those backup elements so that we could auto throw to it so nobody would miss anything 
there were some issues with that we'll talk about in a bit, but there was a lot of thought that went into creating a through line and the streamlined story from the the opening of the show through to the closing Q&A with Jason Freed. I think that there was a lot of thought that went into how to create that line, but we wanted to make sure that it was being presented in a way that that caught piece of people's attention in between each of the keynote sessions per se, and that kept it moving forward. Right. And that, I mean, is a point, I think translating an in-person event to an online event, we didn't just want to put on a microconf and have a camera there live streaming it. Because we could have done that, right? We could have either flown speakers in or we could have sent a camera crew to every speaker's place and just had them sit on a stage. And we just don't think that's going to work the way that it should, right? It's not the optimal translation. As I said earlier, we're not replicating, we're translating, we're trying to adjust it. Exactly. And as, as you think about like transcription, these services that are talking about, hey, we can get up to 95% accuracy. The translation between a live event and a digital event is not one-to-one. It, there is going to be fall off in terms of the experience the guests are having. In theory, the keynotes and the content should be pretty much lined up with the expectations that they have going into the event. But when you go to a live event, you have that interconnectedness to the crowd. You have that sense of energy and that that moment where a speaker says one individual thing and everyone's ears perk up or there's a laugh that comes across the crowd. That's a that's an intangible experience that you really cannot create in a remote or digital setting. And so there are some challenges in putting forward content that that in a live event, it would originally be meant to experience in mass. When you're presenting into a webcam in front of essentially one person, you're speaking to one person, despite the fact that there are 700 some people that had purchased its tickets to attend, you really are only speaking to that one individual in any given moment. And so it is pretty difficult to translate from in-person to live, given that you're missing that energizing element. Yeah, I'll be, I mean, personally, I've had to really work on learning to talk to a camera because obviously I've talked to a microphone for more than a decade now and I've talked on stage to an audience for more than a decade now and each of those things were terrifying at the start and I learned to do them and now I feel fine doing them and I feel like I'm you know gotten definitely gotten better over the years at it talking to a camera with no audience or just with camera people around is way different and it is hard to bring the energy. It's hard to not be self-conscious. It's hard not to to stumble in. You know, there's just you're so distracted staring into this lens, you don't feel like people are there. And it has literally taken me a year. I mean, I think the first like decent video we recorded for Microconf was last, uh, you know, October or November. And it was rough. It took me a bunch of takes and it wasn't very good. And each one, I went back and watched a few of them the other day and it made me feel good. It was like, oh, I am actually better <laughs> than I used to be. Because, <laughs> you know, you know, you'll feel like, of course, I'm, a, you know, you're your own worst critic. And so even when I watch footage of, of remote, I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I should have said that better. But when I go back to, you know, 11 months, I'm like, oof, no, I'm doing okay. And, and that's a, it's a learned skill. And I think it's tough for, for presenters if you don't have a lot of experience with it. It just takes time to, to get better at that. So the difference between scripted and pre-recorded elements versus kind of the live conversational elements 
is acting. When you're in front of a camera and you have a script and there are peaks and valleys in the direction that that script is taking, you kind of have to provide that level of acting and, and impart a little bit of emotion to it that you normally wouldn't experience if you're just having a regular conversation. The example that I had pulled from this was we had Rob recording, Rob, we had you recording on the green screen right at the, the day before the event. And I've had asked you to do these like little peppy welcome to microconf let's get the show started and we ended up pulling each of those because it just didn't feel perfect it didn't feel as natural as we would want it to and to do a scripted element like that without having it be just this solid piece of content that felt great you get to edit those types of things out and that's not to say your energy wasn't awesome rob but it just didn't feel like it was that genuine emotional experience that we would be trying to convey and so we just i just scrapped those pieces because it it felt like it wasn't needed in order to advance the show so it, it is definitely different. There's there's a lot of acting when it comes to, to presenting to a camera, especially in those pre-recorded elements. You you want to make sure that the tone that you're bringing to the expression that you're delivering is matching up with the words that you're saying. Yeah, it's it's weird. So you said you're not saying my energy wasn't good. I'm saying my energy wasn't good. I remember being <laughs> like, this sucks, and I'm trying to pump myself up, but I am not the get myself pumped up type of person. Welcome to Microsoft. Yeah, like, exactly. man, that sounds awful. There's nothing fun about that. And it's so interesting because when I watch people, when we got acquired by Lead Pages, they had a full time like videographer, and they just cranked out videos, and that was a, I would see people be extremely natural in conversation, much like you and I are being very natural in our conversation station right now. And when we'd watch the video back, it wouldn't be any good. Like it looked terrible. And then I would watch someone record and I'm like, this guy's acting. He's not even talking the way that we, we do when we normally are hanging around having a cappuccino and, and he's sitting there on camera. It felt weird in person, but on the camera, it felt great. And that's the, this weird translation thing until you, that clicked for me. Like I hadn't realized that that's, that's what you had to do. Camera just requires a different level of uh, emotion, I think, or, you know, or, or energy. So to move it along, some things that we considered in terms of remote, obviously we had to translate it from an in-person event to an online event and figure out what was different. We thought a lot about time zones. I mean, we were going to do it at 9 a.m. Central and it wound up being 11 a.m. And we moved it this way because of California. And then we moved it that way because of Europe. And we realized that in Asia, it was going to be two in the morning, you know, Asia and Australia. And at a certain point, you just can't, you can't do it perfectly. We actually toyed around with the idea of trying to do 12 hours or trying to do like a three, three and three at different times of the day for different things. And realistically, we were like, look, it's our first big event like this. Let's bite off what we can chew and not get too crazy with it. Totally. Yeah. Choosing time zones is always a, is a challenge. We see this in MicroConf Connect all the time where we do have a majority of the members of Connect and really the majority of our audience is US based. And so there is an element of needing to cater to the primary source of your audience and produce content and, and program times or, that are going to be the most accessible to those folks. But we do want to, to recognize that our audience is pretty expansive. And so we try to do as much as we can to cater to those individual individual time zones as, as much as we possibly can. But when it came to the live implementation of this event, we knew that the core of the 
audience was going to be coming from the U.S. and that we could make the recordings of the event available afterwards so that if nothing else, we were able to, to make MicroConf Remote available to anyone to consume at any time. It's just a matter of when we were choosing the time frame for the actual live event, we just had to keep in mind who was going to be our largest source of audience and what could we do to make sure that they were getting the best out of their experience that we could possibly create. Yeah, and another thing was ticket price. I remember, again, five years ago, we went back and forth on this so much, but five years ago, I remember we were really saying, should a, a virtual microconf event, should it be premium? It should be 100 bucks a pop? Or should it be trying to get the most people into it, so make it like $10, 5 or $10 a pop? And we were back and forth, back and forth, and I was on the charge more camp, if I, if I recall. But then I bounced and said, oh, it should be $10. And then when COVID started, we're like, do we just try to make it free? Well, we can't really pay for the studio and all that. You know, there's like quite a bit of expense incurred with it. So then we went to 10 and then we went to 99 and then we went to 50. And I, what we wound up, I think, which it was a cool hybrid. And, and you basically made the call on this in the end. And you were like, look, 50 bucks, but easy opportunities to get discounts. And there was like, if you recorded a 60 second intro to you and your founder story, you can get half off. And then I think if you poked around on the website somewhere, you could get it for like 10 bucks, right? You could get it like 80% off. And that was a clever way of kind of having options. I will say this. I am a firm believer that remote events should not be charging the same ticket price as live events. I think that the experience is vastly different. I think that the expectations are are so easily managed within a virtual event that you should be able to really hone back on some of the fluff that's associated with your live events that can trim that ticket price down. Ticket prices, margins on events in general are so low that it's something that you really, you need to play around with what those ticket levels are going to be. But the difference between a digital and a live event in terms of the expense and the overhead that's connected to those events is so vastly different that there is almost a degree of disingenuousness when you're choosing to charge the same amount for a digital event as you would for the live version of it. It goes back to the idea that this was never, MicroConf Remote was never meant to be a replacement for MicroConf Growth or Starter or one of our live events. It was always meant to be this standalone, lower cost, more easily accessible program. And it's why we didn't just say, hey, we're canceling MicroConf Growth Minneapolis and we're going to turn it into a digital event to then assert that you were going to get the same value at a $999 ticket price as you were going to get from MicroConf Remote. It didn't feel right. It doesn't feel like there is that connection to live and digital events that allow you to charge the same amount of money for that experience. And so that was always the plan was to have it be a super low cost event. We talked about those $10 ranges. We talked about that $50 price point, which is where we ultimately settled on our, our core pricing. A vast majority of the attendees paid between $10 to $25 for their tickets, whether it be through their story submissions or them poking around around the website and finding one of those Easter egg discounts that were available. Those were present throughout the ticket buying experience. And so we wanted to make sure that that people could purchase at the level that they felt most comfortable at while we were still able to, to make at least the margin that we needed to in order to be able to afford to host the event. 
Yeah, and so let's dive into, we're going to now talk about kind of what worked and then things we would improve or do differently next time. Um, we have quite a few of them, so we might need to zip through them pretty quick based on time. But I think the idea of ticket prices and selling tickets kind of kicks us into this first one of what worked is, I, I think we did a good job generating interest in marketing the event. Like we sold just under 700 tickets and I was pretty happy with, you know, with that. I think that tells us that the pricing was probably within the realm of where people expected it to be. And certainly it's the biggest microconf event prior to this is essentially growth every year, which runs about 275, I believe. So obviously digital is very different than in person, but but still to, to sell that many tickets and have close to that many showing up in the stream, I consider it a win. Yeah. And you have that opportunity to sell tickets up until the day before the event. You, your ticket sales runway is so different from a live experience where you have to not only buy your tickets, but you have to buy your flights, you have to buy your hotel rooms, all of this added expense and added time that's needed in order to prepare for those logistics. We, we were able to sell those 700 tickets in less than a month. And so it felt like it was... Definitely an interesting prospect when you consider the six to eight months that you want to have in terms of runway to sell tickets to a live event. This just feels like it's an easier outlet to be able to to, to increase your event capacity to, to be able to welcome more people into the experience. I think that that is, is one of the more unique elements of digital and remote events that worked well for us. Something else I think worked is the programming itself, like just the the talks the segues that you had set up, the quick tips, the interviews, you know, just the actual, each of those things. I mean, there was like one or two segments, I think, that weren't great. Mike and I doing the slide, you know, the analysis of the slides and stuff, whose slide is in anyway, right? Where we have to do improv. I mean, let's be honest, Mike and I, maybe not the best improv comedians on the planet. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but that was like 12 minutes long and it's like, okay, we, we kind of punted on it. But I think in overall, in general, like the programming itself felt solid to me in the transitions and stuff. I also felt like we just experimented with formats quite a bit. You know, you had the, the quick tip, we had keynotes, we had live Q&A, we had interviews, kind of AMA style. We had Nate Grahek was actually kind of a, more of a teaching session where I asked him one or two questions and, and he taught. And we had, you know, Sherry and I in the car not getting coffee. Like that was just a fun little thing that people commented on. I felt like the experimentation there and the programming itself was was a hit. Yeah, TV. It goes back to that concept of bingeable TV, like a sketch show or interdimensional cable or something like the small bits that have nuggets of information that you can pull from them, primarily inspirational. I think that that was one of the things we were leaning into with MicroConf Remote is that during COVID, things have just not been exciting and not been great. And there have been a lot of people who have been going through some pretty significant hardships. So we, we wanted to lean into the inspiration that that comes with building SaaS and building these events and they're building these products and companies is that there is a light at the midway through the tunnel of building these products. And hopefully people were able to lash on to some of the more inspirational elements coming from the events to, to kind of carry them through the end of this year, which is going to be, it's going to be just as interesting to see as the next three months, how the rest of 2020 pans out. Hopefully this event was able to give that level of inspiration that we were trying to achieve. And then audience engagement, I think, was another one, right? You had, well, both with Q&A, where some folks were willing to come on and actually do video questions, which was cool. But there was a lot of questions, ample questions, you know, typed questions that I could then read and, and engage with, as well as surveys that you had going on during the event, which I think was kind of cool. If you're watching something and you got bored, there was a way to go take a survey and then that poll would then appear later in the event. 
Yeah. And I think that one of the pieces of feedback we got a lot of, which personally is a really nice piece of feedback in my perspective, is that people weren't expecting this to be an active engagement event. They were expecting to sit down and just watch or listen to people speaking. And the fact that there were a few layers of engagement that they were able actually able to participate in, if they were aware of it, uh, was pretty was pretty cool. I, I think that that is the goal of these types of digital events: is you want to recreate some of those elements. You want to do that translation of uh, that in-person event into a live event, and there's only limited opportunities for you to do that. And so I think that people being surprised by some of those elements that we did leverage, whether it was the Q and A, the surveying tools, uh, the attempted recreation at the hallway track. I think that there were some things that people could get excited about and could lean into that were different from just a generic digital event experience. Another thing I feel like you did a really good job with is you really had it more than any other time you headed up finding speakers for this event. And and one of the goals, I mean, we always have with microconfs is to make them as diverse as possible, both, you know, racially and just gender wise, just underrepresented people want more in the audience and, and we want what we can control, which is having more of them on stage. And I feel like as challenging as it was, I know that you sent a lot of emails and asked a lot of folks and got a lot of no's or or no responses. You did a pretty good job of filling out the the docket with, you know, relatively balanced stable of speakers. Yeah, I will say that the diversity of our speakers and lineups is one of the most important things that I have my radar on as we're programming this content. Uh, It's something that we've talked about since the day that I started working on MicroConf, and I know it's something that was on your radar and something you were planning for since the inception of the event. And I will say that it is one of the most difficult things to ensure as you are putting together a lineup. You want to make sure that the messaging and the actual content is in line with the expectations of the audience in terms of indie-funded, bootstrapped founders that have built up products that are primarily SaaS, that are reaching a market that is generating XYZ MRR. And we can find a ton of people within that sphere. But in the process of searching for those folks, I put out 40 different asks that were either rejected or we just weren't in line with the timing of the event or the goals that that person had when it comes to presenting to an audience. And so while the diversity of the lineup I am pretty proud of, it's never really enough. It's never enough to just say, hey, here is what we've done and what we're going to try and continue to do. It's that active work that goes into finding people that are going to be a match for your values and your mission statement that you're putting out as an organization, but are also representative of the world at large. I think it's it's so important to make sure that that stage is representative of of who we want to be in our audience. And we know that it will never be enough. But if anybody has suggestions for female speakers, speakers of color, just really anybody that can contribute to the diversity of ideas that are being presented from the microconf stage, uh, please send them over. Xander at microconf.com. More than happy to, to field those requests and have conversations with anybody that is looking to get into either speaking at events or that has recommendations for, for speakers that kind of fit within that sphere. Yeah, it's tough to be in technology because it is so imbalanced, you know, and especially once you get into software and then you get into SaaS specifically. And it's something we constantly are putting thought and time into. And I love the 
progress we've made over the last decade of having zero underrepresented founders uh, in the first year and then having one the second year and and each year it's just a little more and I think these are the types of things that change over they change over years or decades you know unfortunately they don't change overnight but it definitely I appreciated all the work I always appreciate all the work you put into people don't realize you do 40 asks in order to try to get just a more diverse and a, you know the best the best and most diverse lineup takes a lot of hustle you know it doesn't just fall in your lap and so I think that kind of rounds out what worked with the event obviously there's more things but just in the interest of time we have a few things that I feel like we could improve in future events and given that this was our first time of doing a big essentially a big online remote event like this I think the list is is good like it's it's a Good amount of learning that we got that's from this event. Yeah. Well, I mean, the f- <laughs> we we learned a ton. That is so true. And that's the thing. The first one is just this shindig, which is that software platform we used really didn't live up to what we needed. It was both in the broadcasting of it. I think you were saying people were like not seeing audio and then not seeing video and then not seeing this part and not seeing that part. And then when people tried to connect in the hallway track uh, where we were trying to connect individuals, like that part wasn't necessarily functioning. And of course, you spent dozens of hours evaluating, I don't know how many tools, six, eight tools across a a wide range of technologies and a wide range of prices and and all that stuff. And everybody promises the world. And then you get in and the day of during the live stream, the thing doesn't work. And something like some, something someone suggested is, well, you know, you could try this on a more local event, like try it with only a hundred people. And if we had done that, it probably would have worked just fine. And then when we went to 570 at our peak, it wouldn't have worked. You know, there's having an in-between, I don't think actually helps until, I mean, it fails at a certain point, right? It's somewhere between 400 and 600, I think, is where things started falling off the bus. And so unless we had that many people, I don't think you know, because it truly was a scale thing, was my understanding. I think that there was a bit of a balance there where the issues that we ran into seemed likely we were going to run into those same issues at 100 attendees. The platform itself, at one point, completely locked out me as an admin being able to run the show, being able to upload feeds, being able to kind of manage changes to individual feeds as they were being streamed there. I will say that the reason that we chose Shindig was the the implementation of the networking element. It created this sentiment of being seated at a table with with other guests that were, were in attendance. You could control the number of guests that were seated at each table. That was one of the, the parameters that we had set for them to only have 10 people per table. There were seating up to 30 people at each individual table without following the parameter that we set in the back end. And so there were a lot of little bugs and glitches that were peppered throughout the back end of the software that didn't follow the inputs that, that we had submitted. This is like any other SaaS product that has a robust backend that could be adjusted to meet the expectations that you have as as a user of that piece of software. But the glitches and the breaks that were happening were based around some of those particular inputs that you had. And so there was really very little way to recreate that type of experience ahead of the event as an individual producer. These are things that I am sure that the technology has gotten feedback on prior to. It wasn't the feedback that I had got when I had uh, talked with them to really investigate whether the platform would be usable for us. It wasn't any of the referral information that I had pulled from some of the industry folks that were using the tool. The software itself, 
I can hope that it is moving in a direction that it's going to solve the problems that it does have in place. Because if it does, then I think that the concept of the hallway tracker, the networking elements of the event experience would be amazing. I think it really did do the thing that it said that it did the thing that we were looking for in a product. There are tons of them out there. We looked at some of the more enterprise level, like in Expo, we looked at live stream. We were considering using just YouTube and Slack, which is something we'll get into a little bit later. Uh, we had explored Hopin. We, there were a number of tech products that were doing similar things to different varying degrees of success with their users themselves. And Shindig was the platform that had ticked a number of the boxes that we were looking to to maximize on, or it ticked a number of the boxes that we were we were seeking out in a platform. And ultimately, uh, without having 500 to 700 test cases within an infrastructure, you're only able to see what it can do under that mass of execution when you have that number of people in a space. And so it was it was daunting. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that that I feel like we could improve is that we've commented how this event was different or is different than an in-person microconf. And I'm not sure that f how much that fully sunk in for me until we were doing it. But I was there. I was like, yeah, this is not a regular microconf. And I don't know that we communicated that in crystal clear terms to people of like, hey, because, you know, we got, I believe it was like 70% first timers who had never been to a microconf, which is great. I mean, that's part of the beauty of remote. But the 30% who had been to one may have expected this to be like a microconf event that was filmed and live streamed. And that isn't what this was, right? We mixed it up. And I, I think setting that expectation next time, I think would probably be beneficial. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. And then the last one you have, uh, you have here pivots, Slack and YouTube. What are, what are you thinking there? Yeah, so in the midst of the show, we ended up just leaning on some of the tools that we have been using for the last four months when some of the video and audio feeds were going down for individual users. We were streaming out, our signal out included both the video and the audio streams, but there were points where the screen was blacking out for one of our presenters. There were elements where the audio would cut and it would just be the video. And so we all, what we ended up doing is taking the actual stream from that we were patching into Shindig and we just sent it straight into YouTube. So we had our MicroConf Connect channel that was running side by side with a YouTube stream for people that weren't able to actually use Shindig as a platform. So to be able to, to kind of make that pivot and to implement these alternative resources in the midst of an event, I think that's something that you wouldn't often see at a live event either. You, you wouldn't be able to kind of make that quick switch and have a similar experience in a live event that you, if you have to change hotels, if you have to change rooms, meeting spaces, things like that, you would find yourself in a bit of a struggle in order to execute that in a pretty quick turnaround sense. So I think that that was something that was successful based on some of the challenges we ran into using Shindig. Yeah, kind of reminds me of a sprinkler going off and having to move into <laughs> rooms, huh? <laughs> Too soon? Yeah. Too that soon. kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, sir, thanks for coming on and reliving the victories and the, some of the struggles and things we would do differently next time. It was a heck of an event to mark your one-year anniversary working uh, full-time on MicroConf. Yeah, it was a good time. It, I mean, it was a struggle. There were some significant pitfalls and that 
you kind of have to get past those as a producer. You have to, everything is moving so quickly. You've got to step past them and, and move on to the next thing as quickly as you can in order to keep the show running. So as they say, the show must go on. All right, sir. And if folks want to see what you're working on, microconf.com. So much of what goes up there is is you. And if they email support at microconf.com, they can send feedback directly to you. Totally. All right. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure being on for my first time after all these years. Awesome. So I hope it was interesting for you to hear some of the inside baseball around microconf remote. Thanks again to producer Xander for joining me on the show. That's it for this week. Although there will be another episode of Tiny Seed Tales in your earbuds this Thursday morning. Hope you're enjoying season two so far. So thank you as always for listening to Startups with the Rest of Us. And I will be in your earbuds again next Tuesday morning.